Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, right here 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And we're talking about culture. I want to talk about the culture wars, what's going on with everything. I mean, whether it's the um, critical race theory, how uh, Hispanics, Latinos get boxed into being one way or another, uh, over-generalizing things in general. I think oftentimes people take things and they just really take the ball and run with it in a direction that they really, really shouldn't. You know, and we're going to talk about this uh, Tiger Woods thing from a different angle because uh, I'm blown away by it and uh, and probably not the way you think. And uh, I want to talk a little bit more about a few things. But right now, this Culture War update is brought to you by me. Yes, you're welcome. So I saw a post on social media and, you know, I figured, all right, let me take a look. And it's one of these things where it's somebody says, you know, we we need to reopen everything. And if we all do it right now, they can't stop us all. And I think to myself, you know, if you're not a thinker, if you're just somebody that reads that stuff and you're just reactionary, you're like, damn, wow, that's clever. Let's all do it. Storm the Bastille. That's how we got into this drama on January 6th. But here's the thing. We really do have to stop and think. We need to use our noggins because here's the reason. You read that. I read that and I go, yeah, I wish. Right? That's literally what I think. I would love to see every restaurant open. I would love to see every business open. I would love to see every school open. I really would. But you know that I'm in the minority. You and me are in the minority. No, that doesn't mean that you're brown too like me. That just means that if you think that everything should be open... People are going to look at you and say, but what about so-and-so? You're going to kill grandpa. You're going to kill this one. You're going to do that. You're going to spread all this disease. And you're going to fight back and you're going to fire back at them and say, listen, 99% uh, recovery rate? Come on. I can handle that. And this is the problem that we have. Back and forth, the back and forth. Here's the deal. There's a whole lot of people that want to stay shut down. So, what's the answer? What are we going to do? Wait until those people get as tired as we are? No, that's not going to happen. You know, actor Kevin Sorbo, he recently said that the biggest threat to conservatism today is apathy. He's 100% right. These progressives are willing to fight in so many ways that many of us are not. And I'm not talking about just the torching of federal buildings because, you know, that's what they're known for. 
But physically moving to another state just to organize and turn a district blue is something that's not a foreign concept to the left. They totally believe in that and they'll totally do it. When was the last time you met a conservative that said they were moving to San Francisco into Pelosi's district to take her on? I'll wait. That never happened. And I'm included in this group. Look, I'll be the first one to tell you I considered doing that from moving. I lived about 10 miles away from AOC's district, four miles outside of New York City, across the Hudson. And I said, you know what? I'm going to move into AOC's district. I'm going to take her on. And I tested the waters and I met with the Republican clubs to see what a primary would look like. And I checked it out. I even uh, tried to say hello at the Puerto Rican parade. You may have seen that in the New York Post. And she literally ran across the street. Didn't want to say hi to me. And she rolled her eyes at me. And that's a different story. Maybe we'll get into it later. But the point is, what what I'm really trying to zero in on is that people elected Beto O'Rourke. I bring this up all the time because I, I really I want more people to get uh, as excited as I am. Because I realize that while I'm a dad that has two kids and I'm divorced, and maybe I can move in, in the coming months, right now that meant disrupting my family and it was a little bit difficult. And I know there's a lot of people that are in the same situation where they don't want to disrupt their families. But I will say the other side of that coin is a progressive family that's raising a future Antifa child. And they're like, oh, we're in Colorado, and when we're not getting high, we're raising our our little kid. And, you know, and he's going to grow up to be a real activist. Uh, you know, he loves BLM. He loves Antifa. That's a real thing. And these these stoners, they live in Colorado, and they're they're moving to Texas. They're moving to so many places wherever there's a, a, a weak red district that they can potentially turn blue. And they did it in El Paso, and that's how Beto O'Rourke got elected to uh, Congress. They're all in they're, they don't We don't call them radicals for nothing. So when you look at those people and you say, that is what we're up against. I don't care how many people, retired military, reti- retired cops, God bless you, I love you, and I thank you for your service. I don't care how many of these guys, or me, or anybody else, me, my brothers, we're, we're all uh, Second Amendment guys. Buy as much ammo as you can while it's on sale, because look at the situation we're in now where you can't even get any. Right? You can't even find anything with... Uh, with 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 lead anymore there's you know maybe copper there's no brass i mean everything's running out all right but when was uh, the last time that that was the way this war was being fought it's not it's clearly not being fought that way these people are taking our constitution and eroding it with lawsuits with this with that with uh, support from classrooms with support from the media all over. It's an institutional takeover. There's no way that we're going to beat that, push that back, and fight that fight with guns. It's just not going to happen because th- this is how the communists do it. And they're using this communist philosophy. So I don't want to get all deep into all of that. But my point is, this is the culture war. And the only way you take it back is to get in it. So I realized, you know what, I can't, I, I maybe I could have, you know, I could have said, you know what, screw you to my kids and said, I'm going to do this because I think this is better for America. You guys are going to have to stay here with your mother, go to a different school, and boom, I'm going to move to uh, to the Bronx, and I'm going to make this thing happen. I could have done it, but I didn't think that was the right thing because I felt, you know what, I still have my career in radio, and this is something that I'm able to do and reach a whole lot more people than if I focus on one congressional district. And that was just a fact. So after checking this whole thing out, I said, you know what? The best place for me to be is right here on this mic so I can reach more people 
and share my truth. Now, that's my particular story. I'm not telling everybody to go out there and, and become a radio host, and I'm not telling everybody out there to move into a blue district. But I am saying to consider it because that is what we're up against. And that's the point. And that's just one example that I'm pulling out. I mean, so many of these examples exist. So many people are defined by their existence, by their career, by their situation in life. Like, I got, I got kids. I have to take care of my kids. So I work hard. Why? Because I have a family and I want to provide for my family. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the American way. However, just remember that your enemy, the leftist, they're willing to sacrifice these things, right? They believe in abortion. They worship at the altar of, of, you name it, that's it, right? Whether it's uh, feminism, whether it's um, transsexual rights, whether it's, I mean, you name it. Everything that you may not uh, be a part of every single day is something they fight for every single day. And that's the point I'm making. There is a huge culture war going on. And in order for us to live our lives the way we want to, we have to get in the fight. You know, I had a pastor once tell me in church, and he said, look, the days of you sitting in the pew are over. It's an ugly world out there. You've got to be an active and engaged participant in your faith. And I thought to myself, man, I don't like this sermon. <laughs> I really, I, I come here to hear the preacher preach, to sing a few songs so I can feel uplifted and go about my week. It's like a spiritual shower. I like that. I don't want to come here to be the preacher. I don't want to come here to be the, 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 the light and darkness. And that's just me being frank. But guess what? You crack open that Bible, that's what it says. It says that, that we are here to be ministers. We are here to be the light and darkness. So not to get spiritual or preachy. But in order for us to win, we have to. I look at the example that we have here at Talk Radio 77, WABC 1071. John Katsimatidis. Here's an example of a guy came from Greece, three years old. Works in a grocery store, eventually buys a 7-Eleven with a little supermarket, gets into the supermarket game, makes some money, invests some money in oil company, strikes it rich. He's a billionaire today. He's got an airplane. He's had it for a long time. Guy's an American dream. He's living the American dream. God bless him. I tell that story because he's not an overtly political guy, even though there's all this talk and this hype about him running for mayor and he ran for mayor in 2013. There's only one reason he ran for mayor. He's, in many ways, like the last guy that was president. El Trumpito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente. Donald Trump, when he left his beautiful Fifth Avenue luxury suite penthouse apartment in Manhattan, greatest city in the world. And he said, I'm going to move into the swamp and I'm going to go and I'm going to try and make America better. Why? The guy was making money. He was doing his thing. He had his scandals like everybody else because, you know, that's what happens when you're at that level. But my point was he was doing his thing. He didn't have to do this, but he did it because he loved America. When John Katzmatidis is an oil guy who has, you know, investments in real estate and, and supermarkets, goes and buys a radio station because he likes this radio station and feels like, you know what, we're, we're losing the city. We're losing the culture war. There was a time when common sense, at least here in New York City, common sense was a thing that, every, every, you know, that's what everybody was guided by. Forget the politics. It's not Democrat. It's not Republican. It's common sense. I'm not cut from that cloth. I am cut from political cloth. That's how I came up. I see things differently. But my brothers, my family, most people that you meet with don't give a damn about politics. 
they live their life. They're just like, no, I just want to go. I want to do this. I want to make money. That's how most people live. Most people don't see the culture war. They don't care about the political and social movement that's going on in the country because they don't. And I don't blame them. They have lives. They have a business. They have a job. They've got something that they've got to do. But here we are. That apathy that Kevin Sorbo talked about, this apathy is what is destroying our country. People are burning down businesses in cities across America, 12, 13 cities, uh, over the summer. And what happened? Nothing happened because people are apathetic. A two-year-old got punched in the face by a panhandler. A woman, panhandler, hit a child that was with his mother, a two-year-old child. And no one did anything on the train. Everybody's stuck in this, oh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just here to mind my own business. I'm just trying to get to work. Of course you are. But at some point, we bear a responsibility to those that are around us, to our fellow man, to our fellow countrymen, to stand up for our neighborhood, to stand up for our family, to stand up for our country. That's something that we must absolutely do. You have to get off the pew and live out your faith. You have to get off the subway bench and say, dude, you can't hit that kid. You have to stop. And if it's not a dude, it's lady. Don't hit that kid. This is the point I'm making. We are so caught up with a news cycle about a golfer who got into a car accident and broke his leg real bad and needed surgery. And he may or may not have been drinking. He may or may not have been pissed off. Wow. Stop the presses. I wish him the best. Now, don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. We're just getting started. I am Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. Bienvenido, America. Welcome back. So we're looking at what's going on with the courts, and it looks like the courts have decided that Joe El Baboso Biden is on very thin legal ground because they just shot down his moratorium on deportation. Joe Biden is taking some heat. And of course, when Joe Biden's taking heat, what does he do? He throws somebody else out in front of him to take that heat for him. In this case, it's Jen Circleback Pasaki. That's right, Jen Circleback Pasaki. She's out there spewing the new lie of the day that the Biden administration is not putting kids in cages or that they're just taking care of them in migrant detention facilities. Now, apparently they've rented these relocatable type of uh, transitional trailers that you can use. and They're building, right? The, the point is we have a crisis. People are sneaking into the country at an alarming rate. They decided to go after Trump when he built these facilities that were nice, right, with beds and put kids where they can actually have a, a nice time. And it was Biden and Obama that built the ones that they showed saying that Trump built the ones with the chain link fence and the people sleeping in the uh, aluminum foil blanket and all of that stuff. This was the media. So now, of course, what's Biden going to do? Say, well, no, 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 no. That, those, I built those cages. Those are my cages. No, Trump didn't build those cages. He's not going to do that. So come on, man. He's just going to go with the flow. Let them keep doing the lying that they do. So Jen Circleback Pasaki, she gets taken to task by Steve, uh, not Steve, right? Peter Ducey. Forgive me. Peter Ducey. And it's an excellent exchange. I want you to check this out. It's the same facility that was open for a month in the Trump administration, summer 2019. That is when Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes at the border of kids being kept in cages. And Kamala Harris said, uh, basically, babies in cages is a human rights abuse being committed by the United States government. So how is this any different than that? We very much feel that way. 
Uh, and so, the, yeah. these are facilities. Let me, be, let me be clear here. One, there's a pandemic going on. I'm sure you're not suggesting that we have children right next to mm. each other uh, no, no, in no. ways that are not COVID safe, are you? I'm suggesting that Kamala Harris said that this facility, putting people in this facility, was a human rights abuse committed by the United States government. And Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes of border uh, at the border of kids being kept in cages. Now, it's not under Trump. It's under Biden. This is not kids being kept in cages. This is this is kids. This is a facility that was opened that's going to follow the same standards as other HHS facilities. It is not a replication. Certainly not. So that's that is never our intention of replicating the immigration policies of the past administration. But we are in a circumstance where we are not going to expel unaccompanied minors at the border. That would be inhumane. That is not what we are going to do here as an administration. (laughs) This is not a replication of kids in cages. This is a strict adherence to the rules of kids in cages, <laughs> right? We are not going to send kids back on a company. This is the same thing that it's always been, that it's always been, that it's always been. They started kids in cages. They blame Trump for it. They're back in action. And it's the same thing all over again. Now, can you imagine? That's Peter Ducey, and He's doing a great job. Very professional. Way more than she was. But imagine if, just imagine. If Donald Trump, Donaldus Magnus, El Trumpito, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente, imagine if, if he was able to be a reporter and he was able to talk to Jen Pasirkoback Pasaki, I, I can only imagine he'd go, uh, no, 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 what I'm suggesting, uh, Jen Pasupida, uh, is that uh, you're lying, you're wrong, you're fake news. And I would love that. I mean, I could just imagine him there just tearing them up. Because, I mean, as president, he had to hold back. He doesn't have to hold back anymore, which is why I'm really excited to see El Trompito this Sunday on uh, pretty much wherever it's going to be streaming from. I know Fox Nation, C-SPAN, other channels like that that are going to cover his CPAC speech, which consequently is coming shortly after my presentation at CPAC. So I'm really, really excited about that. We're also going to be broadcasting live from there. so. Just keep it locked right here. You're not going to miss a thing. But Joe Biden is under fire because he said in his first hundred days, he was stopping all the deportations. Listen, you got a DWI? Listen, I got hairy legs. You're not getting deported. Okay, come on, man. None of that's happening. A federal judge now says uh, indefinitely they have banned President Joe Biden's administration from enforcing his 100-day moratorium on most deportations meaning they have to deport these people because the law is the law and that's his job to follow the law. U.S. District Judge Drew Tipton issued a preliminary injunction sought by Texas, which argued the moratorium violated federal law and risked imposing additional costs on the state. Biden proposed the 100-day pause on deportations during his campaign as part of a larger review of immigration enforcement and an attempt to reverse the priorities of President Trump. Biden has proposed a sweeping immigration bill that would allow the legalization of an estimated 11 million people living in the United States illegally. He has also instituted other guidelines where immigration and border agents will target others for enforcement of these laws. Tipton, a Trump appointee, initially ruled on January 26th that the moratorium violated federal law on administrative procedure and that the U.S. failed to show why a deportation pause was justified. 
A temporary restraining order that the judge issued was set to expire Tuesday, so he gave this new ruling. Now, his ruling did not require deportations to resume at their previous pace. Even without a moratorium, immigration agencies have wide latitude in enforcing removals and processing these cases. So we'll see what happens. But in the days that are, have followed the ruling, authorities deported 15 people to Jamaica and hundreds of others to Central America. The Biden administration has also continued expelling immigrants under a separate process started by Trump officials who invoked public health law due to the coronavirus pandemic. So isn't that rich? Isn't that rich? Look at that. Trump makes a law that says, look, we're in a uh, health crisis right now. We can't let these people stay here. We got to stop them from coming in. We've got to build the wall. We've got to do this, increase enforcement. And if we get them, we got to get them out fast because they could potentially, you know, not be inoculated. We have a big thing going on here health wise. And isn't it interesting that Biden has uh, picked up on that right where they left off? Fascinating. So the legal fight over the deportation ban is an early sign of Republican opposition to Biden's immigration priorities, just as Democrats and pro-immigrant legal groups fought Trump's proposals almost four years before Tipton's order. Trump signed a ban on travel from seven countries, blah, blah, blah. This is the uh, predominantly uh, Muslim populations at these countries, also known by the, the Trump haters as the Muslim ban. Legal groups successfully sued to stop the implementation of the ban, blah, 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 blah. It's a good, a good article. It just drones on, and I wanted to focus on the judge stopping the ban. And that's where it is. So this is um, finally a little bit of justice in our justice system, where Joe Biden is stopped from doing what he said he was going to do. And thank God, because leave it to Joe Biden, he opens the doors wide open. Hey, whoever wants to come, come. There was this clip that we had a while back of the guys from Honduras and they were saying, oh, we're coming here and we can't wait till Joe Biden, uh, you know, opens up the door. He's promised to take care of us when we get here. And I just it was so remarkable, one, that the guy spoke English as well as he did. I mean, uh, quite frankly, a lot of people coming from Central America, they have an education issue there. They don't even read or uh, write in Spanish. Just speaking Spanish is uh, the level of literacy that so many of them have. However. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This guy was like a scholar. Check this out. What do you want for your people? What I want for my people, I just want patience and peace that we can get to the U.S. because they're having a new president. Where's Biden? He's going to help all of us. He's given us 100 days to get to the U.S. and give us legal mental paper so we can get a better life for our kids and family. There you go. Biden said, hey, come on in. We got hurry legs. We're opening the doors. Come on. Come on. What is that? Come on, man. Now, don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. We're just getting started. I am Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. He's got the best head of hair in podcasting. This is America with Rich Valdez. All 
right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all social media. And right now I want to talk about color. Color is that thing that everybody's talking about right now, whether you're black, you're white, you're brown like me. That's At least that's what I'm told I'm supposed to be called. I thought I was an American. I thought I was a proud American of Hispanic heritage, of Puerto Rican roots. But no, I am brown, you see. And we must be uh, put into that category of black and brown. Now listen, as a brown person, I want to say that I really don't give too much of a damn about race. I really don't. But it seems to be the thing every day, more and more people want to talk about this critical race theory and where it's going. And, you know, I personally, it's not something I support because I don't think we need to have such emphasis on it. But I have some people that are near and dear to my heart that have explained to me their new ventures. They're doing things with respect to teaching people to be anti-racist. And on its face, I have to say, I don't think there's an issue with that. Uh, I think I, I like to think of myself as an anti-racist. I'm against racism, just like I'm also against fascism. So I'm technically anti-fascist, but I'm not Antifa. Interesting, right? So you see how the, the play on words starts. Because Antifa is all about fascism, right? It's do what I say or I'll hurt you. You don't do what we do. You know, we don't get blah, 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 blah. Burn the blah, blah down, right? That's that's their chant. They burn stuff down. This is what they do. So it's an emotionally charged issue. But I have to say, I really, I understand where the angst comes from. But I can't understand why I have to teach a child that does not know how to hate black people that they shouldn't hate black people. And that's what the the gist of this is. Coca-Cola just launched this initiative of teaching people to be less white. And I find this fascinating. Fascinating because imagine if you're, you're I guess, white, right? <laughs> if you're white and, and they tell you, listen, you need to be less white. How, how do you take that? How does that go? Right? So that's part of it. Now, the other part of it is back to the kid scenario. If, in fact, the gist of this is to, to help people to be less uh, or more aware and less less racist, we're now presuming that if you're white, you're a racist. So it's like, hey, listen, because you're white, you suffer from racism, so let me just help you out. And now if somebody's listening to me and thinks that I'm being condescending or patronizing, it's truly ignorance. I do not understand this. I've never been white before. But when I don't have a tan, sometimes I get confused for that, right? Some people think I'm a white guy. It's just like the fact that I, I speak. I think I have decent diction. You know, I'm a broadcaster, and before that I was in communications. I did PR work for a college, um, worked in government, did stuff like that. I bring that up. Why? Because my buddy Chris, once he calls me, he's like, bro, I was at the barber shop, and this barber, a, friend, a mutual friend of ours, tells me, bro, why are you talking all white? And and he said I was puzzled because I didn't curse every other sentence and, you know, use other slang that he may have used growing up that all of a sudden he's a sellout now. Now he's not allowed to have that conversation. He's no longer allowed to have good speech. He's got to say, no, I'm saying, no, I mean, that's how we do in the hood. Big shout out to Chad Lopez, by the way, my guy. Thinks he could walk in here while I'm doing a broadcast. What does he think? He's the president of WABC? All right. I'll let it slide. Anyway, so 
It reminds me of a story that I shared with you guys on this program about four or five weeks ago. I was with my other buddy, Juan. And I know both of these guys in sixth grade. We grew up together. And I'm taking a, a club soda out of a refrigerator at this Spanish restaurant I go to. And a girl comes in and she hears me talking to Juan. She goes, wow, yo, you got a good white voice. And I said, I got a good white voice. She's like, yo, what do you do? I was like, I talk on the radio. <laughs> She's like, oh, snap, that's great. The way you could turn it off and on and everything. <laughs> I was like, I was like uh, tell me more about that. And and she was just, um, you know, emphasizing. She she liked my delivery and whatever. And I, I just thought it was interesting because I think, you know, I think oftentimes because we live in a country that is white, and I think we forget that. Now, if you're going to say, oh, there he goes. He's a sellout. He said, it's a white nation. Uh, wasn't George Washington, Christopher Columbus, all these guys, weren't they white guys? I mean, last I checked, it was the white people that came here and conquered this land. True or false? If I'm wrong, you can school me. But that's what I heard. That's what I heard growing up. That was the history I learned. So, of course, now there's a, an attack on history. We have to rewrite history. The history you learned was whitewashed. Th that may be the case. I mean, they're whitewashing the history right now and not whitewashing in a racial sense. Whitewashing in the sense that that Time Magazine article that showed how the perfect storm converged because the establishment of government, and, and when I say government, I mean government cronyism, was threatened by a Trump presidency and a potential Trump re-election that they all said, look, like in Spanish, my mother would say, malo que sea, as bad as he might be, he's not, he didn't deserve that. Right. And she didn't say that about Trump. She just that was a general refrain that she used. As much as you may not like Trump, he didn't deserve to be treated the way he was. We didn't. He and America didn't deserve to have the Constitution usurped and have laws changed by way of courts. This this activism straight from the bench so that they could allow tons and tons, millions of mail in ballots that is clear changed the trajectory of the election in so many of the states that were contested. But that happened. That's real. The same way people, if you speak to them, they'll come at you saying, you're trying to be white, you're trying to act white, you're trying to, it's not about being white, it's that this country was started by white people, European settlers. Then there were African Americans. Then, fast forward many more years, there were Hispanics from different places. Then Asians. Then, you know, Irish and Italian throughout. They make up part of the, the white um, early population, the railroads, the infrastructure building, all of that. So why do I say all that? Because to me, that's just legacy. It's history. They were here first. My dad, in 1955, when he was 18 years old, he came to the United States. Obviously, Puerto Rico is a part of the United States, but the continental, the contiguous United States to the Bronx and then to Brooklyn. So what happens? I'll tell you what happens. He starts to build factory job. Then he becomes a doorman in the union, you know, and then he gets hurt and whatever he's, he retires and then he dies. And that was his legacy. He built up. And then it's my turn. Right, and then it's my children's turn. And then maybe my great-grandchildren can one day say, yeah, we got that old money, you know, where they don't work, where they grow up having everything they want, where they can be like, yeah, my family's always owned property. My parents didn't own any property. 
I did, but my parents didn't. And, and that's part of my legacy so that my children can go on and do what they do. So I can't say that that's a white privilege. I had white privilege because I bought a house in 2003. And then again in 2006, that's not white privilege. That's called I busted my butt. I made some money and I bought it. That's how life works. And that's the problem. So if you go to college and you learn to speak well, you start reading books and you learn to enlighten yourself, all of a sudden you're, you're being whitewashed? That's radically wrong. We can't live in a society. I guess we can and we're doing it right now, but we shouldn't. We ought not live in a society where people are going to say that you're being whitewashed because you try to sound like something you've learned. You read something and you begin to emulate, you know, that garbage in, garbage out. When I was 17, 18, 16, 15, listened to a lot of hip hop. I still listen to a lot of hip hop, but not as much because I'm listening to the news and reading and doing stuff like that. So back then, the things that came out of my mouth sounded like the Wu-Tang Clan, right? And Chuck D, Public Enemy, love that stuff. I still do. I still listen. Now, I read other things. Some are higher level concepts, some are lower level concepts. I watch different things. I consume different media. So clearly that stuff influences you. And as you polish yourself up, because you want to sound polished, you want to sound professional, whether it's on the air or in a meeting. I worked in, in corporate America. I worked for a Fortune 10 company. I worked for a small college. I spent many years in, in the higher education sector. I worked in the government. So I bring that up to say, you have to, you know, you throw on a tie, you throw on a suit. Is, is that the next thing they're going to say? Putting on a suit and a tie, you're trying to act white? I'm supposed to show up with, with Timberlands and a, you know, a Puerto Rico fitted cap? It's just wrong. And the more that we continue to succumb to that kind of thinking, saying, no, 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 because you're not keeping it real if you don't do that. That's bull. We can't do that. We can't give in. But that's what they want us to do. So, I'm going to play this audio for you. Forgot I had it. <laughs> Mr. Jizzle's there biting his nails. Could have reminded me. All right, listen to Mark Lamont Hill and on this uh, conversation on race. This generation of activists is saying, no, let's defund. No, no, let's abolish. Let's imagine new possibilities. And one of the new possibilities that they've imagined um, is, an, is a world where that, that is anti-imperialist. They don't want to just nation build, but they want a world make. And so Black Lives Matter very explicitly is talking about the dismantling of, um, of, of, of a Zionist project, dismantling of a settler colonial project, and, and, and very explicitly embracing BDS on those grounds. So it's analytical. It's, it's tied. Our fates are tied up. But there's also a very clear political mission that I think um, is far more progressive or radical than we had even 20 years ago in the mainstream. Now, I don't know if you got every word. He threw out a lot there. My bad on the timing because I really want to dig into this. So you're in luck. You're going to hear it again. But what he talks about right now is boycotts, divestments, and sanctions, BDS. There, there is, uh, these are very charged things. Now, I'm all about that. I would prefer you to boycott and divest from something and even impose a sanction if you're able to than cancel culture. So my point here is what's the story? Why is it that we're being led to believe that one thing is wrong and the other thing is right? If you're white, it's bad. Coca-Cola has now jumped into this thing where they uh, had this diversity training and they're getting slammed for it because they're urging workers to be less white. 
So Coca-Cola employees were urged to be less white as a part of the company's alleged diversity training. But the material was yanked offline following a viral whistleblower post. It's funny. It's funny. They wouldn't stick by it. So it's like, we'll teach you this stuff. We want you to be less white, this anti-white training. But once people know we're doing this, uh, hold up, we're going to stop that. The idea of being anti-racist presumes that you are inherently racist. I reject that on its face all day, every day. You're not going to tell me that I, I am a racist. I'm just, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yep, you know what? You're right. My bad, yo, my bad. I am a racist because you said so. No, hell no. Now, the training known as Confronting Racism is a course that was offered by LinkedIn Education and allegedly utilized by this uh, Coca-Cola company. In the U.S. and other Western nations, white people are socialized to feel that they are inherently superior because they are white. That's a quote from one of the slides that was sent by a quote-unquote internal whistleblower and posted on Twitter by YouTube commentator Carlin Borisenko. Now, Borisenko, I don't know. Borisenko. That sounds like it could be Russian. This might get tricky very fast, folks. Anyway, another slide suggests that to try and be less white and offer tips to, quote, be less oppressive. Okay, let me be less oppressive today. You know what that means? That the day before yesterday, I was more oppressive. Again, presuming that I'm being an oppressive racist. Screw you. Another quote, listen and believe and break with white solidarity. Now, listen, this may not qualify as racist, but it does definitely smack of discriminatory. Because of the color of your skin, we are going to target you and give you training to be less the color of your skin. Imagine if this was how to be less brown. You know, hey, you know what? Sometimes when you come in here, you smell like rice and beans. Arroz con habichuela. And we don't want that. We want you to be less brown. Or, you know, if you're from another ethnicity and you have a different way of um, cooking and whatever, just imagine, just imagine Indians, right? People from India, from Southern Asia, they want to come to work and somebody to say, you know, we're going to have a less Indian training. We would like you to... um Stop cooking with curry, maybe, and just stop listening to the music. You, I mean, this is outrageously offensive, but somehow it's okay to do it to whites. Likely because they're in the majority and have been because, like I said before, they started this place. Anyway, we go on. Borisenko, who describes herself as a supporter of banning critical race theory, said the screenshots were sent to her from an internal whistleblower from the Coca-Cola company who told her the course was quote-unquote required. Now, Mr. Jizzle, with the support of Jenny from the Grot or anybody else, try and um, see if we can book this person, uh, Carlin Borisenko, because I'd love to get her take on it. Now, her tweet on Friday got 18,000 retweets and more than 34,000 likes. On Monday, LinkedIn said it had pulled the controversial course featuring interviews with sociologist Robin D'Angelo, the author of dun, 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 White Fragility. The Confronting Racism course featuring Robin D'Angelo is no longer available in our course library. 
at the request of the third-party content provider we licensed this content from. Nicole Leverich, Vice President of Corporate Communications, told Newsweek in an email. So I think that's a whole lot of uh, malarkey, as Joe Biden would say. Malarkey. Now, his article goes on to say that they provide a wider variety of learning content and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I've seen this. I have LinkedIn. I've been on there. And they had these courses at Linda with a Y, Linda.com, these learning courses and blah, blah, blah about, you know, managing time and this and that. But apparently, another workplace skill is to be less white. So they continued to have this discussion. D'Angelo, meanwhile, insists that she was unaware that she was featured in the course. The slides included were not created by Dr. D'Angelo, said her rep. She was unaware that the videos had been re-edited in this way or that they were being marketed as a course on training on anti-racism since the way the content was put together did not accurately represent the way that she would facilitate that type of work. Coca-Cola denied that the training was mandatory for employees, Newsweek reported, but Borisenko told the outlet that multiple workers said that it was, in fact, required. I'm looking at some of the slides on these pages that I've got in front of me. One of them says here, to be less white is to, colon, be less oppressive, be less arrogant, be less certain, be less defensive, be less ignorant, be more humble, listen, believe, break with apathy, and break with white solidarity. Just imagine you went to work and they told you you had to think this, no matter what color you think you are. And I say think you are because I think if I can say today I identify as a man, but tomorrow I can say I identify as something else, does that not also apply to race? Can I say that I identify as a whatever, Scottish man? Help is on the way. Oh, top of the morning. That's more like Irish. But my point is, I can do stuff like that, right? I should, I'm allowed, or am I not allowed because I fall into the Trumper category? Hmm. Head scratcher. But next slide. Confronting racism this is the title. Understanding what it means to be white, comma, challenging what it means to be racist. Wow. This is the training material that was yanked offline. And the uh, Coca Cola company did say that this publication, while it's, uh, this is part of their Better Together initiative, included access to the LinkedIn diversity course. It was not part of the entire company's onboarding curriculum, whatnot, so with a quote, them saying, we will continue to listen to our employees and refine our learning programs as appropriate. Well, thank you. We're going to listen to our employees who get offended by racialist propaganda that's designed to be anti-white. These white suppressionists, right? Is that a word? <laughs> white suppressionists, people that want to suppress whiteness. Now, I'm not a white supremacist or a white suppressionist. I really don't care, but I will acknowledge facts. I will say that, you know, the New York Police Department was made up of white people, mainly Irish background. That was just a matter of fact. When I was a kid, it was uh, pretty commonplace. Firemen, same thing. Today, New York City Police Department, most racially diverse police department on the planet. For many reasons. One might be people are hiring people because of the color of their skin because they want to add diversity. I don't really support that. But I do support the facts. And the facts are people of color. I believe that's what they call us. POCs, right? I like to call us people. But they call us people of color. You can do whatever you want to do in, in a world that sees no race. And 
people that want to say that you need to be an anti-racist will say that the whole idea of you not seeing race doesn't help them. They need you to see race because they need you to hate yourself. They need you to not like white people. White people are the problem. White people started slavery and overseers, which became officers, which created slavery. While there may be some faction of truth to statements like this, because, yeah, there were slaves. This was America. There was a huge slave trade, as there was globally, as there still is globally. But we're the country that took the strides to move forward. So, yeah, I have to say, you know, if the whole world is burning down, but you're putting out the fire on one building and that building is salvageable and let that be the United States, then let's work together to not only put out that fire, but salvage it and rebuild. And I think that's what we're doing. But we're not going to go anywhere if the foundation of this country was started by people who may have been slave owners and may have not been. The, the language of our founding documents was debated on and changed several times because people wanted to include property, you know, for example, life, liberty, and the, and personal property. And they changed that to the pursuit of happiness because abolitionists were part of the founding. So this is why I think it's always important that we know what we're doing because if we stand for nothing, we'll fall for absolutely anything. That's Hamilton. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. That's Lord Acton and others who've quoted him. So like I always say, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.